on today's episode, Running Considerations for Pregnancy and Menopause with Emma Brockwell. Welcome to the Run Smarter Podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Excited to bring you Emma today. She, um, this is usually the point where I give a bit of an intro, but we actually did a Facebook Live with Emma a couple of weeks ago, and uh, we did it live within the patron Facebook group, and it was good for the the patrons just to see um, Emma see her in action, and so I gave my brief introduction to Emma during that. Uh, during the actual Facebook Live, so we'll play that in a second. But I remember I got off this interview with Emma and straight afterwards I told my girlfriend, I didn't know I'd love talking about pregnancy and menopause so much. Um, Emma's pretty much like on the same path I am when it comes to having a passion, treating runners, educating runners and introducing or bringing awareness to a lot of these common misconceptions that people hear. It's exactly the same that she's on and it's just related to pregnancy and the misconceptions alongside that. So I hope you enjoy. I was excited that I actually got the Facebook Live to work because I'm trying to organize my last interview Facebook Live in the Patreon group didn't go so well, just me trying to learn new technology. But um, it went off without a hitch and I was um, very excited and uh, very happy with how the whole thing turned out. Also, just stay to the very end because I've got some amendments to make or some additional um, information that Emma wanted me to do um, post-edit once we did the recording. She's like, oh, don't forget to include this. So stay to the end and um, yeah, I'll update you on a bit more info. Let's dive into the Facebook Live recording now with Emma Brockwell. Welcome to the podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, I usually do like my, um, when I introduce you or kind of like your bio, I usually do it in the intro later but since we're doing this on a Facebook live I'll just do it now if that's okay cool yeah go for it okay so Emma is a women's health physiotherapist she specializes in postnatal rehab uh, she has written for the run the women's running and women's health magazine and she's also co-authored the return to running um, postnatal paper along with Tom Goom which I'm a huge fan of and um, you've also authored the book um why did no one tell me? Do you want to just tell us a little bit what that's about? Yeah, so that book is really for women predominantly, whether you be thinking about having a baby, pregnant or postnatal, um, to really give you the 
the the true fact of what happens during and after pregnancy um I, I think for too long now, we, we, we don't tell women the truth about what happens during that time. The changes that happen to your body are so massive. Um, and we all know a little bit of what happens, but, but this gives you a really good idea, particularly around your pelvic health as to, as to what to expect, but also how to protect your body. Um, because in physio, we want to prevent issues happening. Um, and so I hope women read it before they experience any pelvic floor dysfunction for example um, but if they don't it also gives you ideas on how to manage those symptoms and and hopefully resolve them as well so uh, yeah I hope I hope it's a book for everyone every woman at some stage if they choose to have a baby at some stage in their life yeah great and it's also good to have so much information up front and like you say the whole preventative yeah. approach I am 100% on board with that and I guess like anything else, there's a lot of misconceptions or maybe just them just not knowing, like you say, until yeah. um, they well into pregnancy and all these things start arising. That's when they're looking for the information and they're probably thinking, man, I wish I knew this prior. So um, yeah, yeah, great idea for a book. I mean, I think, I think if you were to Google a lot of this stuff at the moment, there's so much conflicting information and I wanted to create something that was evidence-based informed women but didn't scare them so it's not it's not a scary read but it's a real read and in my clinic I can't tell you how many times I've heard the phrase why did no one tell me why did just no one tell me that I might eat urine during or after pregnancy so if you know it's less of a surprise you can then have control on the situation and then you can also know who can help you because a lot of women go to their GPs unfortunately and are told well you know what that's just because you've had a baby that's part of being a woman Mm. um and just so to make it clear if you have experienced any pelvic floor dysfunction it's really common but it's definitely not normal and it's definitely treatable so hopefully this book just helps really embed those messages yeah and hopefully you can dive into some of those topics today but before we get into specifics uh do you just want to maybe continue with the introduction and just let people know um, how your career has progressed to where it is today around women's health. Yeah, so um, I have been a physio for, oh, I don't know, 16, 17 years, which makes me feel really old. Um, <laughs> I am getting old. Um, just wise. And, uh, <laughs> yes, I'll take that. Um, and for a long time, I was a musculoskeletal physiotherapist. Um, and if I'm honest, I'd kind of lost my way a little bit with physio. I'd, I'd lost the love, if I'm honest. Um, and then just prior to falling pregnant, I discovered pelvic health. And um, then falling pregnant, experienced an awful lot of issues. I'm a very, very keen runner and had the dream of this Instagrammable pregnancy, which I t- where I tell the world how amazing pregnancy and running is. Um, and then unfortunately, uh, I suffered from hyperemesis, which is really severe sickness during pregnancy. So I was actually unable to even exercise at all, um, barely remain active at some points. Um, and after having my son, my first baby, um, I had quite a few pelvic floor issues. So I don't know. <laughs> just just fate 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 led me this way and just this passion grew from personal experience but also because I see so much 
importance around pelvic health you know it is a musculoskeletal um, speciality um, and so that that's really led me down this road and because I love running um, I've been able to put that bias on it so yeah I'm really lucky because I absolutely love what I do and thank goodness I didn't give up physio because I wouldn't be where I am now. Wow, that's cool. It, it has such resemblance to what I experienced. Like I was a physio, then I became mm-hmm. a runner. Then I had such a yeah. passion with seeing runners and seeing more and more runners through that passion. I recognized that there's so much information that people need to know and so much that they don't know that could help them significantly. Yeah. And so decided to specialize in that particular field. So that it's very, um, very close resemblance. Very sim- yeah, very similar. And it's cool because you just get up in the morning and love what you do and for a long time I didn't have that and so yeah I'm really lucky really That's really awesome. lucky really awesome okay so my first question being like if we're continuing on to pregnancy during the early stages of pregnancy what are the changes physiologically that might happen that a runner should be aware of mm-hmm. well First of all, our bodies change dramatically and really quickly, and it's a real multi-system change. Um, and I think unless you've been pregnant, um, you just don't appreciate the, the, the full extent of what changes. I mean, for example, your cardiovascular system changes. So more than 40% uh, blood is pumping around your system. So your heart rate rises, uh, your respiratory rate increases as well, which in the early days can give you a real increased work of breath. Um, and as your bump grows and baby pushes up on diaphragm and ribs, that can also really increase your respiratory rate too and just make it harder to breathe. Um, and that's really hard as a runner because you're battling with no bump in the first trimester, but an increased work of breathing. And then in your third trimester, with that much bigger bump and having to battle with that increased work of breathing. So that they're two huge changes. Um, metabolically things change. So we retain a lot more water, um, fat deposits on areas you might not be used to, uh, like your hips, your bum, um, your breasts, lots of, you know, lots of runners don't particularly have huge breasts. Some do, um, but, but you certainly notice that change during uh, pregnancy and that's massive Um, and it's really important that your breast health is addressed that you have a really good sports bra because we know that women with larger breasts experience a lot of breast pain or I should even say women who don't have well supported breasts experience a lot of breast pain and that's going to put you off running Mm. Um, but we also know that that the, the breasts move in lots of different ways and if the bra's not supporting you it's just not going to be comfortable um what else changes musculoskeletal that's the big thing i guess um mm-hmm. posture center of gravity you are unfortunately due to the hormonal changes more at risk of injury because everything becomes a little bit softer so there's huge changes and it's not just one thing you know we do have a lot to to get around as runners when we're pregnant but incredibly women run really successfully when pregnant um so i think it's just a case of making sure you've got the right equipment to cope with the changes like a good bra uh nice airy clothing so you don't overheat um make sure you're hydrated to cope with the 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 huge changes that are happening cardiovascularly and respiritually and um listen to your body 
listen to your body, listen to your changes, accept the fact that you might experience fatigue and nausea. And uh, yeah, it's I, I, every day is different when you're pregnant, unfortunately. Um, and you just have to ride the wave of pregnancy and yeah. see where your body's going to take you. Right. Okay. So you've got making sure you've got the right equipment, making sure you're well hydrated and making sure you're just listening to your body. If something becomes stiff or sore, or if you're intensity levels if you're starting to get out of breath or feeling like it's um you're training maybe a bit too hard maybe back off mm. the intensities a bit is there any medically speaking are there any guidelines to follow whether someone should stop running or not if they um sense medically if they get like maybe heart rate blood pressure those sort of um measurements done is there sort of like a cutoff period where they say okay no more running for you mm-hmm. um so we're really lucky now that there are, thankfully, some good guidelines that have come about really in the past two or three years. So we have the Canadian Pregnancy Guidelines, that's 2019, and, um, and they're fantastic. Then uh, the ACOG released guidelines last year, again, to give you some guidance uh, around exercise. In our country, in the UK, uh, we have the Chief Medical Officer infographics are giving us an idea as to what to look out for, when to know when to and not to exercise. Um, and our governing body, the JPOGP, sorry, the POGP, they also um, have developed some element of guidance as well. So we've got a lot of, a lot of information out there. The biggest problem is there's still not a lot of research there. So a lot of this is caveated that I'm going to say with but we need more research. Um, and so this is a massive call for all researchers, please, to do more research in this area. Um, but what we're looking for with women is that you keep exercising, you keep active if you can. Um, and I am a real advocate for runners to keep running throughout their pregnancy if it feels good for them. Now, if you are a low-risk pregnancy, there is no reason to be worried about running during your pregnancy. In fact, the benefits are massive. It's good for your health. It's good for growing baby's health. And it's really good for your mental health as well. So that's the big thing. And you'll glean that from all of the guidelines that I've just discussed. Um, ideally, what, we su- what they're suggesting at the moment is that women exercise at a moderate intensity um, so that you don't get too out of breath. We'll probably talk about that a little bit more later. Um, but you also don't overheat. Um, so obviously running in hot weather we have a hot sunny day in England for once. Um, so you would want to be careful in that sort of weather. Um, make sure that you keep hydrated, uh, make sure you're fueling well, ideally aiming for around 150 minutes a day, a week, sorry, of moderate intensity exercise, which includes two days or two, two strength tension, strength, two strength thinning sessions I can't spit that out um as well as pelvic floor exercises as well so it's all about moderating to a point now that becomes more complex if you're an elite runner because elite runners don't want to pull back on their intensity Mm. but the research we have at the moment we don't have the research for the elite runners we just don't have it we know that you can run up to about 85 percent of your capacity or intensity we don't know what happens beyond that. And so we have to say as a clinician, go with guidance. But my gut feel is if we have more research around that, I think elite runners are made a little, little differently and can cope with a little more. Um, but you'd really need to switch your medical team and your running coach um, and explore that on an individual basis. Uh, but you really still want to run around moderate intensity in an ideal yeah. world. 
it's good to know because a lot of people might get quite fearful when I think a lot of pregnant women know that their joints become more lax and like just they get told based on certain hormones that the body's starting to prepare to stretch out. And so ligaments, tendons, um, everything is more susceptible. Like you say, things become a bit softer and people might be too fearful in the other um, or scared to go for a run and think they're going to get injured where if we're listening to the body and we're just taking that moderate, moderate intensity, like you suggest, and maybe if you're just listening to your body, it's going to tell you to start um, taking time off those high intensity sessions anyway. So that's probably a good guidance anyway. Um, Definitely. And yeah, they're probably, as long as, like you say, you're encouraging, encouraging them just to keep at that moderate intensity, you're still reaping all the benefits of exercise during pregnancy and it's kind of reassuring for them rather than just thinking that everything's really loose and really lax and they're going to fall to pieces as soon as they continue to run. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, of course, the guidelines do uh, inform women and clinicians and coaches around the women that should be more careful around exercise and running. Um, So there are some contraindications, for example, if you have uncontrolled diabetes type one or preeclampsia or an incompetent cervix, then you may have to really modify what exercise you're doing possibly even consider whether exercise is possible but that would be a real you know a team approach to discuss how how things work for you then you have your relative in, uh, contraindications where malnutrition recurrent pregnancy losses again we all need to be working as a team to try and keep you as active as possible but perhaps modify and say look high impact definitely isn't for you but perhaps we can find something that is for you And then the guidelines are really good in letting you know when you should stop. So if you're listening to your body and you start feeling dizzy or headachey or or unwell, that's a real sign that things are, time is now to change what, change up what you're doing Um, and of course vaginal bleeding as well would be another warning sign to change things up but there's beautiful tables listed in all these all these guidelines Um, there's much more to them than, than I can than I can remember off the top of my head but there is guidance out there and I think if you speak to a healthcare professional who is unsure um because there are unfortunately some people who are still unsure have a look at the guidelines, download them, take them over to them and you can sit and discuss them. That's what they're there for. So don't take it um, no as an answer when it comes to exercise, because I think there's a lot of ways we can explore women still exercising. um, And it's really important that we do so. In fact, I should just add that um, I've recently done a research project with Gronia Donnelly um, and Dr. Izzy Moore. Oh, cool. um, She's you see I heard you talk about uh, Izzy the other day actually on your podcast and um, she's amazing she's really embraced um, Gronya Gronya who wrote the postnatal return to run guidelines for me and Tom um, she's really embraced our passion for this and uh, we carried out a survey for women um, I think we surveyed about 900 women and we found one of the key factors for women not returning to running postnatally was fear of movement, vaginal heaviness, and not continuing to run in pregnancy. So if we can keep you running, you're more likely to run postnatally. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's very, very good, strong evidence to suggest that we should be keeping you active and possibly running if, if all the, t- the boxes are ticked. Great. Um, Melissa is... 
Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. One of our patrons, and she has a question. She asks, is um, paying attention to your heart rate and maybe keeping to a certain low heart rate during pregnancy, is that like a safe approach to work out um, a good running intensity? Yeah. Hi, Melissa. Um, so heart rate is an interesting one. Um, that was very much the way that we advise women to, to exercise by monitoring their heart rate. Um, things have changed a little bit because we found that not to be so accurate. So just to um, give you some numbers for, for heart rate, if you're under the age of 29, uh, working at moderate intensity, your heart rate should sit around 125 to 146 beats a minute. If you're over 30, then around 121 to 141 beats a minute. Now, you can still use that very much, but what we tend to recommend now for the back of the evidence is carry out the talk test. So can you run and continue a conversation? So it wouldn't be that sort of conversation where you can't grab a breath. It would be a conversation as we're having now where you can talk in a sentence and still run. That will stop you overheating. That will stop you overexerting yourself. And that's safe for you and safe for baby. I tend to recommend that talk test over all the others, like rates of perceived exertion and heart rates. Saying that, if you're an elite runner, I know, or, or, or a very good runner, I know people like their heart rates and I don't see the harm in doing both. But I definitely think the talk test is, is the most evidence-based test that we have at the moment. So I'd go by, by that more. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. And so the talk test, if they're running and like complying with this talk test, is this, that's still counting as that moderate intensity that you were talking about before? Yeah, exactly that. That's exactly the way, you know, if you're exercising at moderate intensity. Mm-hmm. Great. 100%. Um, Melissa also asks during pregnancy, is there, should we be changing our strength and conditioning uh, approach to help with running? And you did well, we've mentioned the, the body becomes softer and, you know, increased respiratory rate, increased uh, the diaphragm, maybe um, as the baby kind of pushes up. Is, is there another way we should be approaching our strength and conditioning or should we just continue as is um, pre-pregnancy to help with that, the benefits that come along with strength training and running? Yeah, so a contraindication is Olympic lifting. So we want to take out the real heavy, heavy, heavy lifting, Um, but very much recommended is strength and resistance training. So if you are someone that is already strength training, that's awesome as runners, because most of my runners are not strength training. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, I do actually find that pregnancy is a really cool time to get women into strength training. Um, so perhaps starting with your body resistance first, band resistance, weights. I'm, I'm all for weights. You're about to deliver a baby. You've got to be strong. You've got to be fit. And you're, you're going to be a mum. And straight away, you're going to have a weight that you're lifting. You're going to have car seats. You're going to have buggies. So you've got to have strength regardless of the running. Um, but there is evidence to show that the stronger you are during the pregnancy, the better your postnatal recovery will be so yeah the only thing i would avoid doing is valsalvering so any breath holding on your lifting um, we have seen with the research that fetal heart rate can be compromised with that but 
the, re the, the, the numbers in those studies are low. So we need more research around that. But yes, very much if you're lifting, if you're strengthening, keep doing so and aim to do that at least twice a week. I advocate normally three times a week if possible, because I just think the benefits are massive, especially given how much lengthening some of those muscles are going to go through um, around the tummy, around the bottom, everything. If we can keep you stronger, you're going to, you're just going to have an easier time postnatally for sure. And it's going yeah. to help you running during pregnancy. When I used to work in clinics, I used to see a lot of mums or a lot of uh, pregnancies and we would go through a lot of Pilates as well. And yeah. I kept saying the same thing. I'm like, mums need to be so strong. <laughs> you're going to need to like build up as much strength as you can for runners. We're talking like, you know, the trunk and the legs, but yeah. even just after giving birth, you're going to need really strong upper body shoulders, arms, because like you say, you're just going to be constantly dealing, carrying things, carrying babies, breastfeeding, you know, it's, you need to be super, super strong. And so oh, really if someone did. is already doing their strength training, but they're used to just doing body weight exercises, now they're pregnant and they're like, oh, I need to start lifting heavier weights. Is it okay for them to safely start lifting heavier and heavier as long as they're not holding their breath like you're describing? Yeah, yeah, exactly that. Progressive. Think of it as building blocks. You're not going to start lifting, I hope, a 50 kilo uh, when you haven't lifted a weight before. You, you would start smaller, but build up slowly. Again, listen to your body. If you start feeling faint or dizzy or headachey when you're doing it, that might, might just be too much. You might have to knock it back down a little bit. But I, I, I think it's a no-brainer to, to get stronger while you're mm -hmm. pregnant. So if, if you've got that in the back of your mind that you might even be interested in it, I'm all for it. I think you should, yeah. I think you should go crazy. I really do. Yeah. Good. Go and I think enough of the listeners would be wise to progress carefully i think they've yeah. listened to enough episodes to know they're not, not going to dive into something that they haven't adapted to yet how yeah. about um you did mention strength training two to three times a week and pelvic floor exercises do need to be a part of that um do we incorporate that into our strength and conditioning or how would you like uh someone who's going through pregnancy to best negotiate that yeah, um, so you can absolutely incorporate it into your strength training. So when you're, when you're squatting or lunging or deadlifting, ordinarily on the exertion, you can activate your pelvic floor at the same time. Um, I think it's really important, however, that every day you are putting, I don't know, four, three or four minutes aside to really focus on your pelvic floor exercises. Your pelvic floor is like any other muscle. Um, and unfortunately, pregnancy is about the only time we suddenly become aware of this muscle. It hasn't just suddenly sprung out of thin air. Thin air. It's always been there. Um, and if we don't use it, it's never going to work as well as it could. Um, what's really important, though, is you've got to think about contracting the pelvic floor, but also lengthening the pelvic floor as well. Because when you birth, if you birth vaginally, your pelvic floor is going to lengthen. It's not going to contract. That's not what pushes the baby out. That's your uterus. So as your uterus contracts, your pelvic floor is going to lengthen. And a lot of women, quite a lot of runners end up having a bit of tightness in their pelvic floor. And that's sometimes because of our technique how you've activated your pelvic floor you focused on the contraction but you've forgotten to let it go you've forgotten to lengthen so i do think it's really important that every day you put aside a few minutes to really focus on relaxation and contraction of the pelvic floor endurance but also fast activation as well mm. um, and, and it really should then become part of your your everyday well-being your everyday routine as much as you brush your teeth forevermore you should really do your pelvic floor exercises 
Yeah. And I think if someone doesn't have a lot of awareness around how to correctly activate that, we're not going to talk about it a lot um, mm-hmm. in detail today, but obviously see a women's health physio or someone who specializes in women's health is probably the, the next best option. Would you agree? 100%. Yeah. Actually, there's a very high proportion of women who aren't doing their pelvic floor exercises correctly, even women who think they are. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I think, I think especially if you're a runner and you love running, you need to know how to do your pelvic floor exercises correctly to use someone like myself to find help you find that way of doing it. Yeah. Um, I did have a question around later stages of pregnancy and running, um, but I think you've almost answered it. And I'll, I'll let me know if you want to add anything else in. So if it gets to a point where um, the belly is getting quite large and the you're just not finding running comfortable and we're, focusing on all the other um, things to be aware of listening to the body. And we've just got to a stage where I'm not saying, I don't know why we're saying we, I like saying we a lot, but I'm not going to get <laughs> pregnant, but so we're getting bigger and um, we're struggling to really tolerate running. What's our next best option? Should we just find another element of cross training? Should we be walking, hiking? Um, what's, what's your recommendations around that? Find something you love, find something you enjoy. Um, Most runners are very tunnel visioned to only running. And I say that because I'm like that. I really, Mm -hmm. really like running, to be honest. Um, But again, pregnancy is a great opportunity to explore more exercise. Um, So I don't know if you're aware of a runner, um, an an ultra runner. She's called Sophie Power. She's she's an English ultra runner. She's a well-known runner. Uh, ultra runner because she breastfed during the UTMB and um, has become a bit of a pelvic floor advocate really following her three babies Um, but her big uh, change from running during pregnancy while still training for the UTMB uh, was hiking and and uphill walking but she was walking faster than I can probably run I mean this woman's amazing but she couldn't run because she had pelvic girdle pain during pregnancy um so her she found her passion for walking lots of uh ladies I treat often uh, spin so long as mm-hmm. a bump will allow um swim well that's been difficult in covid in, in our country because everything's been shut down and it's and it's cold um but women now are getting back into swimming um pilates yoga the big thing is keep active just because you can't run don't just say oh well you know what i'm gonna have 10 weeks off try not to try and keep moving try and find something that, that you enjoy but yes if she's uncomfortable now i'd suggest possibly that's the time to to switch over to something a little less impactful Okay. It's similar to like people get runners get stuck when they're injured and they they can't tolerate low levels of running, but that's all they know. They just love running yeah. and that's it. They get very stuck when it comes to their recovery because they've run out of options very quickly. And so I always recommend that you, you need to have other avenues. You need to perhaps yeah. find a bike, find a swim, do some form of cross training at the gym that you and find something that you love. You might not even know, like I have some online clients who have convinced to maybe jump on the bike, maybe do some skipping. And they've actually found a love for it that they didn't know. And so having those different options can be great. If um, like I say, running becomes uncomfortable, then you've got something to fall back on. And like you said, the, I think one of the key messages um, throughout this episode is keep exercising, keep reaping those benefits. And so you'll have a lot of things to fall back on if um, that is, if you lose out on that option. 
And so how about post-pregnancy return to running? So is there recommended for how much time you should have off after given birth? And is there a protocol to return back up to running? So there's not a protocol as such. Um, So I think when we wrote our return to run postnatal guidelines, some interpretation was that no one should ever run until they're at least 12 weeks postnatal. Um, And that wasn't quite our message. Our message, first of all, was that ordinarily, in our, our talk for the UK, we'd see our GP and our GP would give us a green light to go to exercise six weeks, anything. You can do, you can do whatever you like. Um, and actually, there's very little sense in just doing whatever you like when you haven't possibly done anything for that six weeks because you've been ma- waiting for that tick box. So we wanted to explore perhaps how you build up to return to run. And it's like we've been talking, it's all about building blocks. You wouldn't just, sub- well, ideally, you wouldn't start returning to a run when you haven't run for some time. You build up to it. Um, again, by listening to your body. So if you have any pelvic floor issues, so that might be urinary incontinence, fecal incontinence, vaginal heaviness, pelvic pain, then your body's telling you, I'm not ready yet. They are signs of injury of your pelvic floor. So you're not ready to run yet. And that's okay. But you do need to get those symptoms assessed and treated. And then once you've done that, hopefully through a pelvic health physio, you can then start exploring your return to run. But in the meantime, you can still do things like strengthen, low impact exercise, walk, things that aren't going to exacerbate those symptoms. Because if you run on those symptoms, they're just going to get worse. And, you know, it's, it's not okay that you're running and leaking urine. Um, you shouldn't have to substitute the shorts you love to wear dark leggings and pad up just so that you can still run when actually you can be treated for it and most women really can be successfully treated for it the idea of the guidelines was really to address slowing you down bounce back to myth doesn't exist no one just suddenly bounces back to where they were um pregnancy as we've just discussed is massive it changes your body really quickly then you go through childbirth which for most women is traumatic to a point. So you need time to heal and recover. And you would not have knee surgery, surgery, even an arthroscopy without rehabilitating. You wouldn't just suddenly jump out of the surgery and start running. Same rule should apply with pregnancy and postnatal recovery. So we use this 12 week mark for women who are symptom free, who have been building up with low impact and strength training and then potentially are ready to return to a return to run. But some women I see are ready sooner. They're ready at eight weeks because they're just lucky and they have actually been probably doing a lot of prehab through their pregnancy. Um, Some women aren't so lucky and they might have to wait 24 weeks. But everyone's an individual. Everyone needs an individual return to run uh, assessment in my print in, in my opinion um, but 12 weeks is a nice ballpark figure to think that's maybe when I'll be looking to get back hitting the hit, hitting the track or the or the road sensibly. yeah I, I think some people can have comfort knowing that these are kind of very similar principles to apply when returning to run from injury and that mm. people will be well aware of this because of all the other previous episodes I've done on this podcast but assuming we're not 
saying pregnancy is like an injury, but it's in terms of the, I guess the, the methods that you use and the guidelines that you use, it's very similar. So if you were to have 12 weeks off due to an injury, you wouldn't just jump back straight into running. No, you would make sure that you're staying fit and healthy as fit and healthy as you can during those 12 weeks so that you're maintaining your fitness as much as you can. And you're sort of building up strength in other areas as much as you can. Then if you start returning, it is a return to run. So you might want to do your walk runs. You might want to do just like slowly building up continuous stuff, make sure it's low intensity and then pay attention to symptoms. It's exactly what we do with injury. Everyone's an individual. Everyone takes a little bit longer or shorter depending on um, the individual, but it's paying attention to symptoms, slowly building up if you're responding well, and then just um, until you're back returning to those pre injury levels. Um, it's, yeah. it seems to fit a very similar correlation. Wouldn't you agree? It's, it's exactly, exactly the same principles. I kind of, it blows my mind that in 2021 though, we're only really, we've only been having these conversations for a couple of years. Like mm. women have been birthing for a long, long time. And yet we have really, we've done women a huge disservice because, you know, we haven't acknowledged what a huge thing pregnancy and childbirth is. And we've kind of, once you've birthed, that's it. You, you know, you kind of left to your own devices and it's, it's just not okay because, because we deserve, you deserve the rehab, you deserve the input. Um, and, and, and again, it comes back to this preventative approach. Women will, if leaking during pregnancy, are more likely to leak later in life. And urinary incontinence is one of the main reasons women get admitted into nursing homes. So, you know, it's the second most cited reason. So we need to be, you know, this is a big deal. We need to be preventing this happening or if not preventing it, helping treat it so that as we get older, we don't have these symptoms. So it's, it's, it, it's a serious, it's a serious thing in my, in my opinion. And, we, you know, we want to, we want to be encouraging women to exercise and run. And the reality is when they're leaking urine, a lot of women will not run or exercise anymore because they're embarrassed. And they, what, what, what enjoyment can you gain from leaking every time you go and you go and hit the trails? Um, and you shouldn't, you shouldn't need to experience that. Yeah. It, um, it's laid up a really nice opportunity for, to ask Jessica's question because, um, she asked when returning to running, are there any running techniques that might have a less strain on the pelvic floor and therefore might be, I guess, more comfortable or more, uh, I guess the transition to running might be a little bit smoother. Is there, and do you have any comments on that? Yeah. Um, I really like uphill running for the pelvic floor. It's great. So ah. often I'll get, um, girls to start running, returning their run uphill, run uphill, walk downhill or walk on the flat. Um, it's just such a nice way of activating glutes, but also just offloading the pelvic floor a little bit as well. Um, I encourage you as well, or encourage them as well to use trails or the softer, uh, softer surfaces rather than roads, if that's possible. Um, just again, to reduce that, that impact and load. Um, and also, Think about your trainers. If you are someone that is a barefoot runner, I would hold back on the minimalist uh, footwear or, or barefoot because, again, it's just more impact. That's not to say you can't get back to that, um, but you just want to build back up perhaps with a, with, with a bit more support in your trainer. Mm. Um, and again, 
I've mentioned this already, but because I can't emphasize the importance of it, get a good bra as well, because actually having having some good support just reduces movement and load throughout the whole system. So it's not just about protecting your pelvic floor, it's about protecting the whole the whole area. And I think breasts get forget forgotten, unfortunately. And then yeah. more um may i also add that if uphill is uh beneficial maybe if someone doesn't have a suitable hill they can always find some stairs to run up as well yeah perfect or if you are a treadmill runner obviously whack the incline up as well but yeah stairs stairs awesome great yeah Yeah. it's it's worth knowing especially with when it comes to injuries as well that running uphill you're not fighting um, that ground reaction force like you are when you're running on the flats or running downhill, there's a tremendous amount of ground reaction force running downhill. And perhaps some women, when they're returning to run postnatally, they might be dealing really well with the flats, but then really struggling with the downhill and maybe just downhill, they might want to avoid that as well. Yeah, downhill is the big one, actually. That can take some time, particularly if you've been symptomatic. Um, mm. It's often one of the main times a woman will leak when they're running downhill so we just need to wait until the pelvic floor is stronger pelvic floor if you haven't you know regardless of how you deliver takes about seven months to really heal so bear that in mind and for some women running downhill you know you might not be looking at that for seven to twelve months um but we really want you symptom free before we start thinking about the the, the downhill running it, it comes but we just we just you just need to take time and focus more on the flat and the uphill for some time yeah. great tips i did want to spend a little bit of time talking about menopause as well and i want to yeah. thank you for agreeing to take on this because i know it's not directly in line with your expertise yeah. but i just want to open the floor to a women's health kind of thing in general. Um, Melissa asks, does menopause affect strength? Does it affect how strong we are and how we're working a lot with our strength and conditioning? And does it affect weight gain as well? Is there anything you can say to that? I really want to say no, it doesn't, but it really does. Um, Perimenopause, menopause, such huge hormonal changes occur, particularly with estrogen. Um, And estrogen is an amazing hormone. It gives us muscle, uh, it's what our muscle needs basically. Um, And really from our thirties, our muscles uh, start declining anyway. And so it affects our power for sure when we haven't got as much estrogen Um, and it affects our bone health and muscles really important for bone health. So we need as perimenopausal, menopausal and postmenopausal women to be focusing hugely on strength. It's so important, at least two to three times a week again, loading the body with weight is, is fundamental because yes, it, unfortunately it does affect our muscle uh, composition. And it does unfortunately affect our metabolic rate as well. So our metabolism slows down. You start noticing that fat deposits more around the middle, which is just horrible for women. It really is. And the thing that's going to help increase your metabolism is more muscle. So, you know, building that muscle is just essential for your bone health, your metabolic health, even your brain, your heart health, it's all so important. And all of those things, when we start losing all these really key hormones like estrogen, we have to think about how we, 
how we compensate for that and whether that's through medication like HRT, um, which is, is something we can perhaps talk about if we have time. Um, it, it's just so important that we start addressing these changes from the so more of the holistic side, exercise, diet, the whole shebang. Women needs, women's health needs addressing from those perimenopausal years for sure. Yeah, right. And I think it's it's similar to, I guess, the aging runner. We know that the aging runner will lose muscle mass, will lose strength, yeah. will lose VO2 max. We know that that's a steady decline over time and you can't necessarily preserve it at the level de- no matter how hard you train, like over yes. as the decades go on, you're going to lose VO2. But the more you exercise, the fitter you get, the more your your muscles, uh, the muscle strength is maintained. That decline is like reduced. Like it, it does, it's not like a rapid drop off, like someone who yes. is sedentary. It's preserved. It, it still declines, but over a slower period of time. And so mm-hmm. um, compared to peers who might be sedentary, you're far superior. Um, oh, yeah. So, so this would also tie in with Jessica's question who asked, is it more important to strength train during menopause than not menopause? Or would you say it's, it's quite similar? I think it's similar to be, to be perfectly honest with you. I think women and men just need to strength train. And I think it becomes so much more important when we hit the perimenopausal years, but remember perimenopause can start at 35 so you might have just finished your family and start heading down that perimenopausal route. Um, and perimenopause can last for up to 10 years. So again, sorry to bang the drum, but it's about prevention. The more you act on this now, the less you're going to have to really focus on it or interweave it into your routine. Um, and so I just think, yes, forevermore, we, particularly once you hit the perimenopausal years, you need to be strength training. Um, you know, it's, it's just fundamental. It really is. Um, and I, 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 I want to give you more than a, just a yes, but I, I just, I see, I just can't see how it's a, it's a no brainer. We have to be strength training. Absolutely. Yeah, we really do. It's, it's kind of like someone being like, oh, should I just do my strength training when I'm injured or when I'm older? Should I just focus on my calf strength when I'm in my 50s? No, if you want to have that preventative approach, the best time is now. The best time is to do it as soon as you can and yeah. build up your bank as much as you can. And exactly. you're only just going to um, reap the rewards later on. And even if you do um, drop off the intensity or drop off the frequency later in life it's still maintaining it's really easy to maintain all the gains that you've gained um as opposed to like starting from scratch and trying to build up yeah absolutely yeah no it's 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 important and i i don't know i don't know what it's like over in australia but we've had a real big push recently with um uh, the menopause and the importance of it. I, I, I always feel Australia does women's health so much better than, than it, than we do in the UK, to be honest, mm. but it seems like the pennies just dropped on around the importance of menopausal uh, treatments and education. You know, women don't use HRT in this country for fear um, of the repercussions that they thought existed from that study in 2002, which name has just gone out of my head. Um, but we're now seeing actually HRT is important for brain, heart, 
bone health um, and you know speaking to a GP that really understands and I, I did want to highlight a charity um, which you can access in Australia obviously it's called the Menno charity and it's been set up by an incredible uh, doctor called Dr Louise Newson um, and it's full of information on the menopause um, nutrition mindfulness you know we're tackling this from all angles um, and so I would definitely refer any woman that thinks they perhaps have menopause or symptoms um, or is just interested in the menopause to, to go over there and you can get the real balanced view of HRT or not HRT and the approaches you should take to making to making sure that the next 50 years of your life are going to be as awesome as the, the last 50 years of your life it's really important what does the HRT stand for hormone replacement therapy yeah. Okay. Good. Um, yeah. So it's it's substituting that that estrogen coming away. We're replacing that. It's it's, it's estrogen based and, okay. and progesterone. I'll definitely include that Menno charity like link in the show notes as well. If anyone has wants to explore that. Um, as okay. we're wrapping up, Emma, is there any other final comments or maybe any pregnancy or menopause misconceptions that are out there that we haven't touched based on? No, I think what's important is if you are suffering from any pelvic floor issue um, which do become highlighted during pregnancy and going into those menopausal years that you seek help um i i just it's not okay that the research is showing that it takes seven years for a woman to address their pelvic floor issues um the GPs here in the UK and in Australia can refer you to a pelvic health physiotherapist. The success rate for most pelvic floor issues is really great with physiotherapy. Um, there are lots of conservative management techniques and treatments that you can approach without thinking of surgery. Don't feel ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. These are unfortunately very common things that we are dealing with. Um, and there's no shame in them because one in three women are leaking urine um, and we might just not be talking about it. So I think we need to talk more about it. We definitely need to raise the issue more within the running community because a lot of women are putting up with issues they sh shouldn't have to. Um, and just, you know, know that there's support out there and um, you should be running into those late, late years with great enjoyment and pelvic floor issues are like any other issue, sorry, any other injury treatable. So um, yeah, that would just be my take home message. If you're, if you're struggling, seek help because it's mm -hmm. there. Yep. Do you offer like online consultations as well? Yeah, I do. Yeah. And actually COVID for all its horribleness has actually been really interesting in how you can physio online. I wasn't sure of it, if I'm honest, um, before COVID, but it's been really a really successful way of, of even treating pelvic floor dysfunction. And to be clear, you don't need to uh, expose yourself online mm -hmm. uh, to, to get um, really good uh, results. So right. yeah, absolutely. I love this path that you're on. I love the awareness that you're bringing the world. You're doing so through so many avenues. You're publishing papers. <laughs> you've got this book and you also have a podcast. Um, can you maybe explain what the podcast is about and who it's for? Yeah, so it's called At Your Cervix. Um, and it's with Gwenya Donnelly, who I've uh, mentioned previously. Um, and we are just talking to experts in the field, but also women who have suffered from pelvic floor issues about pelvic health raising awareness, busting myths, 
breaking down taboos in the hope that we make this conversation more palatable, but also more evidence-based and really raise awareness that pelvic floor issues are common, but they're not normal. So yeah, yeah that's us. Um, I have your Twitter account, so Emma underscore physio mum and your Instagram at physio mum UK. Is there yeah. any other like links or social media platforms or websites you want me to add? I, my website is, if you want to contact me, um, is www.physiomum.co.uk. I'm on LinkedIn, but I'm so terrible with LinkedIn. I, I, presu- I can't, I don't really use it that well, but I am on there as Emma Brockwell. Um, but no, if you DM me on any of those platforms, um, I'm a bit slow to get back, but I will get back to you for sure. Great. Definitely. I love talking to people who are pretty much on the same mission I am. They've found this niche that they love and they're so passionate about. They've found a need that's like this population really need all this uh, awareness. And you can just tell the passion that's coming out of your voice that you've put yourself on the right mission, on the right purpose. And I'm blessed, blessed to talk to you and uh, uncover a lot of these myths today. So thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you. It's been amazing. Okay, so as I said at the intro, just a bit of an update. I received an email from Emma last night at the time of recording. She wanted me to also mention when she was talking about uh, moderate intensity, um, she didn't include that actually vigorous intensity can also be considered in low-risk pregnancy. And so when it comes to heart rate, it was being around 147 to 169 if you're under 29 years old. And if you're over 30s, that's the... Um, heart rate of around about 142 to 162 and she said that you should still of course be able to hold a conversation but just let you know it's not all about that just moderate intensity she was talking about it's still safe to do vigorous intense uh, vigorous intensity during low risk pregnancies so I appreciate uh, Emma's um, thoroughness with wanting to get the right information out there. And after our chat, she had a, a bit more of a think about what she said and then just sent an email being like, oh, can you just let them know this? And so it was great that she could do that. And so I just amended um, and included a bit more info today. And now that it's just me, I can do my send off. So remember, every new insight brings you one step closer to your next running breakthrough. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.